Hello and welcome to episode six of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand sustainably. On today's show, I'm joined by the fabulous Sinead Roberts, co-founder of What Not Naturals. It's funny how often some of the most wonderful brands are born out of a need to solve a real problem faced by their founders, and What Not Naturals is no exception. Sinead shares her journey from seeking environmentally friendly nappies for her own child through having an entire container load of them deposited on her own front lawn, and ultimately the evolution of Whatnot into one of Australia's most loved organic baby and skincare brands. Along the way, she shares with us some very powerful lessons in customer engagement, marketing, and materials transparency. I know you're going to take heaps away from this, so without further ado, let's start the show. Sinead Roberts, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Charles. I am very, very excited to uh, chat with you today. You've got a, a beautiful brand that, that essentially makes organic skincare products, which is uh, the first of the kind that I've interviewed uh, on the show. And so I'm really excited to un- unpack your story of building this brand and what led you. So maybe we could start today's episode by hearing a little bit about, about your background and what led you into making What Not Naturals. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, Yeah, it's a bit of an accidental story, actually. Um, I think when I was studying IT in college and my business partner was studying music, um, at no time did we ever think our qualifications would include a forklift license. Um, But 20 years down the road, that's where we ended up. And I remember looking at it going, life is funny. How, How do you end up here? Um, So my journey started uh, in software engineering, and um, my last job was with a company called Capgemini. I lived in Ireland at the time uh, with my Aussie husband, and we had our first child. And I had him booked into daycare. He was going to go full time. I was going to go back to my wonderfully paid job. And when I saw this little creature in my arms, I just thought, I, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can put him into daycare. So I used it as um, a break to have a think about where I was heading in my life. And I knew I always wanted to do something for myself. I think it's always been a driving force in me to be, I think if you're an entrepreneur, it's a seed that just keeps nagging at you. I don't know if you've ever felt that through your journey. Oh, totally. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I can't help myself. Uh, in fact, what you, I think what you probably like yourself, once you once you turn on that tap, it's actually harder to turn it off than it is to, you know, to get going, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I think it's impossible to turn off. And when I had my son, one of my best friends had bought me uh, as a gift, the world's first environmentally friendly disposable nappy, a box of these nappies. It's a German brand called Moltex. And it absolutely blew my mind. I didn't know there was such a thing as an eco disposable nappy. And not only had I the entrepreneur bug always inside me, I always wanted to do something good. And I know that sounds a bit twee, but always was a burning ambition to do something good. I didn't know what that meant, but just something good. Um, When we moved back to Australia for good, I looked around and thought, what will I do? What will I do? Will I go back to IT? And I went to buy the environmentally friendly nappies that I had used for my son, and there was none. I thought, okay, well, in Australia, you must call them something else. must be a different brand. No. There was no option at all. 
And I thought, well, ha, that's what I'm going to do. So I stepped back, created a business plan, headed off to Germany, met with the manufacturers and said, can I be your agent in Australia for this brand? And I could not believe it when they said, yes, you can. I thought, okay, well, that's now what am I going to do? So I came back. Um, I looked for a business partner because I had a, a young baby and I knew I was going to have to juggle raising the child. Um, and a good friend of mine, I presented the plan to her and she said, yep, I'm in, let's do this. So we ordered a container of nappies. And I, I will never forget the day they were delivered on the nature strip outside our house, a 20-foot container of nappies. Looking at and going, I understand what people say when they have a panic attack. <laughs> How have we done? What have we done? I love we it. had a baby each, but there was no way we were going to get through a 20-foot container. Yeah, it's a lot of nappies, isn't it? <laughs> So our husbands supported us. They unloaded all the nappies into the garage. And I don't know if you remember back, there was a magazine called Sydney's Child. They used to be distributed through libraries and um, places like that. It was a free magazine for parents. And so we put a big ad in the magazine saying free nappy sample, equal nappy sample. Um, and the phone started to ring. So I had created a very, very basic website with the little background in IT I had as a landing page and a phone number. And look, it, it was a bit of the 80-20 rule. 80% of the people wanted something free, but the 20 that contacted us that were genuine were fantastic and started to buy the, we sent the sample, they started to buy the product. And I think, you know, nowadays where you've got everything can be online, in a way it's a shame because there's a bit of a disconnect we had to talk to our customer every time they wanted to order something. Um, so you you really got to know your customer well. I mean, for some of these mums, you might be the only adult to speak to for the entire day. So they really, really loved sharing, you know, why they bought the nappy, what they loved about the nappy, what their lives were like. And Giles, this was 17 years ago. So you pretty much draw a circle around Byron Bay. That's where... And surrounding areas, that's where our customer came from. Because 17 years ago, eco was super, super niche. Um, yes. And so, you did you were you in Byron Bay at the time, or was that just where the where the interest was? That's where the interest was. Wow, isn't it? That is, it's so interesting now because if you look at so many of the of the sustainable brands, and obviously I've been doing a fair bit of research for this podcast show, so many are still based in Byron Bay. It's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. And you know, it really was the birth of that movement. And we would still say. There are eco warriors. There are core. You know who who are we speaking to? Who where are we coming from? We live in Sydney, but we're coming from their their roots. If that makes sense. So anyway, um, they ordered the nappies, and um, I remember them saying, "These are great, but can you get complementary products? You know, baby wipes like this, different things." And Shannon and I thought, "Well, we have this import game down." We know how to do this. So we looked around the world and we found a range and we brought it in. Our customers bought it. It went out and the phone began to ring off the hook. They were furious, absolutely furious. And they said, what on earth did you buy? This stuff is awful. It's got this in it. It's got that in it. Don't you, don't you know like what's in the product? And 
at the time we didn't. If it said it was natural and organic, we thought it was natural and or organic. Um, and I paused and I remember picking up a piece of paper, picking a pen and a piece of paper and saying, okay, what do you want? What is it exactly that, that you're looking for? And they were like, oh, and they just told us exactly what they wanted. So with the baby wipes that we first created, um, they wanted an extra large wipe. So they would use one, not two. It had to be, of course, 100% biodegradable. These are the ingredients it could have, these ingredients it couldn't have. And we went looking for them and they weren't anywhere in the world. So we said to them, if we make this product, because it's very different making a product than you know, buying in a pallet, you've got to make a container loft. Um, you've got to promise to buy it. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll buy it. And on that naive, I think if we weren't as naive as we were, we might never have ventured forward. But we thought, okay, well, you said you'll buy it. We'll make it. So we made them. And, um, you know, this is a year later, we sent them out. And our customers rang up and said, that is the best baby wipe I've ever had in my life. Well done. And and I, I said to them, well done you. I mean, we, we were the vehicle that brought it to the market, but you are the people that know, you know, you are the experts. And that was the start of whatnot. And we have never changed how we create products since. I, I love that story so much um, for several reasons. I, and, and I kind of almost want to go straight off track and start talking about a couple of things there. But, but the first thing is what I love and I think is in a more enormous lesson for everyone starting a business is the first thing is you have to be. It's, it's so tempting these days with the ease of Shopify. You probably built that before Shopify even existed. Yeah. And it's so easy to just get caught up in the digital world of build a website and everyone will come. And, you know, the uh, email them and, and whatnot, no pun intended. Um, but the reality is, especially when you're starting out, you have to have a relationship, a deep relationship with your customers. And you have to ask them what they want because they're going to tell you. Yeah. And they'll give you far better, more direct ideas than you can come up with on your own because you can't necessarily second guess yeah. what's happening in their life. And so for anyone that is a smallish brand, now, I, I think that's such a wonderful story is that you, you started by listening to your customers. Yeah. And that is, that is so important. And the other thing I, I, I want to just pick into a little bit is that you mentioned a bit of a problem there in the sense that you listened to your customers and then you took the word of the manufacturer, you know, on face value of it being organic, but it actually turned out not to be. And I think this is also a huge problem, particularly in the sustainable space especially when we're buying from overseas. And I don't know whether you, in, with that one, you actually went to go and see the manufacturer, but often you you don't get what you expect, particularly when you're buying something from Asia. Uh, you know, they'll say it's one thing and then it'll be something entirely different, yeah. in, you know, in the makeup. When you're bringing out a new product now, how do you go about ensuring it does have the right things in it? And how do you know what right things are? Um, so, you know, I, I think it's interesting. My background's in IT and chemistry was um, never on the radar um, but, you know, speaking to the customer and understanding just how knowledgeable they were, that we had to lift our game really quickly to be able to talk to this customer and, you know, have a conversation where we both had mutual respect, you know. So that began a, a very, very steep learning curve for me. Um, and in particular, I found that when I 
when we did partner with different contract manufacturers, which you've inevitably got to do if you're not a massive company yourself, it was like coming up against a wall when I would try to formulate with them. So I would give them the list of ingredients and they would say, Sinead, you can make a cake with that. You can't make, you can't make a cream that's, you know, everything you've got in there is in your pantry. You can't make cosmetics out of that. Um, we can use this, 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 but we also want to use this emulsifier, this emollient, this um, hemacillant, whatever it was. And I just said, would have to say to them, you, we can't do that. And so our the first contract manufacturer we used, I think we both learned, I learned chemistry and he learned natural together. And it was, it was, I won't say it was a battle, but it was very difficult for both of us because he was trying to make his life easy by putting in what he knew would work. Um, and I knew that our customer would never accept that. So when I when I say hours, I mean weeks and months I've spent looking for an alternative that he could try for whatever ingredient he was looking for. Um, and knowing that um, uh, if we didn't try everything, the, the, there, was n- there was no shortcut is what I'm trying to say. There's some brands out there that will take a shortcut, um, but our customer, you know, is, is the original eco-warrior. Um, and, and I soon learned that they, they could read the back of anything and they knew. They could see, you know, a, a, a fraud from a mile away. They could see the, the small print. Um, so, yeah, it, it just never would have washed for us. So how, how many iterations do you think you went through with your, your first kind of skincare product before before you actually came up with something that you were happy to, to bring to market? Um, so the, the big the first one that I remember them saying to us after the baby wipes was, can you make a sunscreen? And three years it took us to make that product. Very, very hard. But in the end, we ended up with a sunscreen that, um, and it's, you know, one of the best selling natural baby sunscreens out there that you can eat everything in that sunscreen. I have to be cautious how I say this, except for the zinc and the preservative. You know, the, the whole lotion that it's suspended in, which is a whole other can of fish, kettle of fish for me and, and labeling um, and transparency. But you, you can eat everything in it. And that took, that was so hard to make. Let's talk about that because transparency is a real thing, isn't it? Particularly mm. in skincare. So t- tell me a little bit about your thoughts around transparency and because this is a big theme in the whole sustainable space, not just organic skincare, but what's, what's your view on it? Uh, it's, it, you know, it's everything. I mean, I think there was a time when people could get away with, you know, greenwashing, hiding, um, smoke and mirrors, but I'd like to think that that day is gone. And when we came out with our, sunscreen that was my first journey into the tga fantastic organization and critical for us um but one of the things i never understood and still don't to this day is so just briefly if you make something with the tga it comes under a whole different set of guidelines than a cosmetic product so if you've got an after sun lotion that you put all over your body after you've been in the sun it's a cosmetic and or skincare product and has to list every ingredient that's in that lotion in order of concentration. On the other hand, the sunscreen that you 
probably also put on every single day. And that, that falls into the TGA regulations, which stipulate that you only have to list the active ingredient, in this case, what's protecting you from the sun, in our case, zinc, and the preservative that's um, keeping the product stable. So those two ingredients are only make up at most 25% of the product. So what's the rest of it? What's what's in the rest of it? And, you know, it's it's especially in Australia, as you know, we're supposed to wear sunscreen every single day and parents do. What's the problem with telling the public what is in that everyday lotion? Um, so we were one of the first to just list everything on, on the tube so that the parents were fully informed. So what, what are the nasties in there that we that we should look out for? And, and you know, ultimately, I mean, I guess I mean, this is your opportunity to plug the amazing skincare cream, I suppose. But what, what what's the key thing that we all need to be aware of? I'm sure there's plenty of mums listening to this. Look, there, the list is, is huge, but the you'll have companies that have got sodium hydromethylglycate in there, which the ones that concern me in particular are um, formaldehyde releases. Um, that's a classic example. Um, it, and and I don't know if you're aware, but there's this whole move towards uh, companies saying they've got a zinc sunscreen because um, the reef-friendly home, you know, movement came along. So up the oxybenzone, the chemical protectors um, in sunscreens have got a bit of a bad rap in in some cases, um, and we would never use them anyway. So there's 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 a push towards going with zinc oxide in a sunscreen. But a lot of companies are just seeing it as an opportunity to pretend they're natural by saying a natural zinc oxide sunscreen. Um, Great. But what's in the lotion? What's the other 75% of your ingredients? So do you find, I mean, I think this is great. So do you find that being so transparent about uh, presumably labeling on the on the actual primary packaging and those sorts of things, what's actually in it? How do you convey that level of transparency to your customers in a way that turns into a benefit for you? Do I mean, do you talk about it openly? Do you, do you dialogue things that are in there? Do your customers ask you? Do you get lots of engagement about the content? That's a great question. And I can only speak for our own brand. And from day one, we knew who we were. And and we are a company that, you know, the products weren't created for us. They were created for our customer. Um, And I know that our customer was the pioneer in that eco-transparent movement. And we just built up a reputation for trust um, with our brand. And to be honest, we didn't really shout about it. Um, and maybe we could have messaged better now that I see the movement, you know, turn into a stampede in that direction. Um, but I, I think as a brand, we've just quietly done our, our own thing in terms of um, keeping true to our, our story. And word of mouth is one of our biggest marketing tools. So we find that's how people find out about us. Um, and and there's nothing more authentic than word of mouth, you know. Yeah, increasingly I'm talking to sustainable brands, and and whilst most people are running ads of some description or another, there's a theme coming up that that being sustainable, having organic made products, is an immensely powerful kind of core around which 
the the customer conversations are built such that they bring you other customers from from just talking about how great it is. Has that been the core of do you think of your of your brand's growth, or how, what what other marketing techniques have you used to escalate the the brand presence? Um, so yes, that definitely is uh, the the keystone of of how we grew the brand. But what we also realized was very powerful was our products are great. Um, you know, and I can I can say that honestly because I wasn't the inventor of them. Our customers, you know, I, I feel no ego in saying that. Our products are not only natural, but the efficacy is incredibly high. So what we then realized was sampling. If we could get the product into the hands of a mum that could be converted, that maybe had thought that natural eco meant compromise. So if I use a, a natural baby wipe, it's just not going to perform the same as a conventional one. But we knew that wasn't the case. And we have always pushed our products to perform or outperform the conventional brands. Um, so sampling then became a massive, um, hundreds of thousands of samples going out so that people could um, feel the product, experience it, um, yes, they're more expensive than the conventional brands, but once they could see, um, so in the case of our baby wipes, it's a larger wipe. Um, and all other baby wipes are a standard size. And uh, I'm being a bit cynical here. Maybe they've been designed so that you've got to pull two out of the pack. I have no evidence of this, but inevitably people tell me they have to pull two to do the job properly, whereas if they pull one of ours, it works. Um, so it's hard to... It's hard to convey that to somebody until they've experienced it while they're changing their baby's nappy and they go, oh, yeah, oh, I see this. Just one wipe does the job and I'm done. So sampling, if you've got a really great product, then I find that that is a very, very powerful way of marketing. I love that. And there's 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 a couple of things I'd like to pull out of that as well. You're just a wealth of, of treasure trove of knowledge and experience here. Thank you, Sinead, for sharing all this stuff. The first one is, I love what you said about that you were making products that were at least as good, if not better, than the non-sustainable or the, or, the, or the existing alternative. And I think this is a key lesson because I think some people get tempted into the line of building sustainable products because they're sustainable, but they, necessar- they don't necessarily are as good or better than the alternatives. And I think fundamentally that's the wrong approach because at the end of the day, the customer's still buying a product and they still want mm-hmm. to, to, they still have expectations about what it's going to do for them. And so it still has to do at least all those things, if not better, and be sustainable as well. So I, I think that's a very important point. From another point of view, you know, you talked about the, the sheer number of samples that you've been sending out as being a core for, you know, getting the experiential path of the product up and so that people would come and purchase. So how did you go about distributing that many samples? I mean, that's a lot of samples to get out. What, what techniques were you using to get that in the hand of, the, of your audience? Yeah, that's a great question. Um... Uh, lots of things. So partnerships, one of our company values is collaboration. So we've got four core values and we pretty much, our whole business is run through these values. One of them is collaboration. And so we look to create a partnership with um, services that provide first aid to new mums, people that we believed were aligned with who we were and what we were trying to do. And we would provide samples to them, which they were so happy to get. Um, we were very, very lucky to be chosen by the New South Wales bundle bag. I don't know if you know about that 
So it's a New South Wales initiative. Um, state government provides every new parent, uh, sorry, yeah, every parent of a new child um, with a bag in hospital with essentials. And we were chosen as the baby wipe product. So every single baby in New South Wales parent gets to experience our wipes as part of that. And um, it's just fantastic. Now, that's only New South Wales. If only we could replicate it across the country. Um, so we use uh, different ways to get through to the other states. Then we also do a beauty wipe. I don't know if you know, we do a facial wipe. Um, that's a funny story. If you want me to share it, how we? Yeah, go, go. I'm all for funny <laughs> stories. We love those. I tell you, I mean, we're a very small brand, but we're in four categories. We span baby, sun, tanning, and beauty. And it's madness, to be honest, to, to be in so many categories. But anyway, as, as I said, our customers drive our direction. So uh, one day I was on the phone to a lady and she just ordered a box of baby wipes, 12 packs of baby wipes. And um, I said, oh, how, how old is your child? And she said, oh, I don't have any kids. And I went, oh, so what are you doing with the wipes? And she said, oh, I'm a makeup artist. And um, they're the only ones that none of my clients react to when I use them on their face. So um, very often if a woman is going to get a you know, her makeup done for a night out, she will actually turn up with basic makeup on that the, the makeup artist has to remove before. It. And, um, and I said, oh, are they good for that? And she said, yeah, yeah, they, they're good, but they're not, they're not great because um, they, they don't take the mascara off and they're thick oil-based products. And um, so we chatted for a while and she said, you know what, if you, if you added some organic oils into the baby wipes, they would really take the mascara off and the thick makeup in the same way that if anyone's ever gone and got waxing done in a beauty salon, they remove that thick wax with oils. It just um, dissolves, dissolves it. So we made facial wipes. We put the oils into the um, baby wipes and they become our facial wipes, which were also a huge success for us. So we would sample those through conferences like women's conferences, business women events, anything like that, people would come and actually ask for the samples to put into the goodie bags. So we would just provide, provide, provide. Uh, so I, I love it. One of the many great things about Whatnot Brand is you've got a very clear customer avatar. It's almost like with this, you've kind of split your avatar potentially into two different people because you've got the, I'm assuming it's mostly mums that buy this product. You know, I don't want to be sort of gender biased, but I'm assuming it's mostly mums that do buy it. And and mums of young kids, obviously. And then you've got you've now got this broader female category of people that wear makeup, I guess, and that want to remove it. So how have you found that? Has that changed your messaging? Has it changed the way you interact with your customers at all? Is it, has it been hard, in fact, to resonate with both of those two different groups, even though they're potentially quite overlapping? Yeah, and that you've, you've brought something very, um, very important to light there. It, maybe if we thought it through, we might not have gone on exactly the journey we went because uh, we now have a very broad customer base, um, which uh, everything has advantages and disadvantages, of course, but it does split your, your um, focus. So our customer used to be very lasered to being a mother, you know, in that, those childbearing years. And now it's much broader than that. So it's anything from mid-teens up to, you know, very mature uh, which does make it very difficult. And, 
you know, as a small company with a small marketing budget and a small team, you can't appease everybody. You can't reach everybody. You've just got to focus on, on narrowing it down to who is your core customer. And that was that mother age group, not, not, not exclusively, but, um, yeah, if we had a massive budget, we could we could certainly do a lot more. But that's just not the case. It's a it's a brilliant lesson, actually, and and you've obviously done that extremely well because new marketers can can be tempted to try and attract a wide audience because they feel like there's a bigger pot to go and or biggest ocean to go and fish in. But the reality is, all that really does is it dilutes the message and it dilutes the degree to which you can resonate and and be specific and helpful to that one particular person. So. You know, the recommendation here for anyone listening is to do exactly what you guys did to start with, which was to be really laser focused about who you were serving. Because A, that meant that all of all meant that your website and all of your communications in every form can be very specific to that person. But it also means that you buy the opportunity to have a very detailed discussion with those people as you did to find out what they want and how you can serve them more. And that may lead to broadening out in the future, which is awesome. So I love that lesson. What a powerful lesson that you've, you've given us there. Do you, these days, are you still mostly doing the kind of um, the sample-based marketing or have you sort of delved into digital marketing a bit more? And if so, how's that going for you? Uh, we definitely need to play in the digital space. Um, at the moment, it's, a, it's becoming a bit odd um, with all the changes uh, with Instagram and Facebook. Yes. So we're, we're navigating through all that. Um, but... We launched in America, their main overseas market, um, about six months ago. Congratulations. And That's a massive you. market. Yeah, um, but I just wanted to share uh, our partner over there, amazing company, PharmaPax. We said to them that the, our biggest marketing success is sampling. And they said, great. So we sent over two pallets of samples, and um, they were putting them into their orders. And they didn't expect, they said, look, sampling for us doesn't do anything. It just creates brand awareness, but it definitely doesn't convert in any make, shape or form. Just so you know, the, mar the market in America is different because we kept saying how it really works for us. And it was just amazing to see that when the sampling went out, the orders started to come in and they were shaking their heads just really really um surprised that this really really worked why do you think that was always the product delivers more than anyone expects that exceeding expectation is a delight to a new customer you know like really surprised you, may, you can imagine many samples you've you've had in different bags over the years and if you try one that just really surprises you and delights you it converts and not only did we get sales, we started to get reviews. Now, it's very, very early days, but it's, it definitely is testament to the products that we create. And, and we know that regardless of what you know, can happen through social media advertising, traditional advertising, it'll always come back to sampling for us. And the fact that America proved that was amazing. I think that's such a brilliant lesson in so many ways. Have you set up a separate .com site then for, for the US demand? No, so the, our partners um, created an Amazon. We've got our own Amazon store. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, um, and they sell through uh, Target, Walmart, all the the main. They're they're an incredible company that um, actually seek out niche brands from around the world that they believe there's a market for, um, and 
yeah, they came after us for a little while before we said yes, because as you say, America is daunting. What's next? On the on the agenda for what not naturals, where do you see where do you see the brand going over the next sort of two to three years? Um, yeah, we've got very clear plans. So we are focusing on building it through pharmacy. That's our our main partner. Um, used to be health food stores, but that they've just started to close down, as you may know, over the last sort of ten years. And natural organic has gone mainstream, and particularly into pharmacy. So we're going to build our relationships through that space. America is on the cards now and, and demands a fair bit of our attention. Um, but excitedly, we have been working on um, adjusting the baby skincare range, something that does not exist on the market. We're about to bring two worlds together in, in, in one product range that have never come together before. But later in this year, we will be launching that. I'll be watching and and be I'll be the first one to try and call you and congratulate you when that gets launched. So that's that's awesome. Well done. And uh, so thank you very much for giving us the giving us the heads up here first. That's sustainable commerce. Very much appreciated. So, Sinead, where can people get your wonderful baby and skincare products? Um, online, whatnot.com.au, uh, of course. And we are through most pharmacies. Our biggest partner at the moment is Chemist Warehouse. So. Pretty much all our products are available there, and um, we'll be growing that out across other um, banner groups this year. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that journey with us, Sinead. I really appreciate the lessons that you've, you've imparted for us today, and congratulations on the tremendous success over the last couple of decades in building whatnot, but also congratulations on what appears to be the next the next level of whatnot business with, with launching in, in, the, in the US and, of course, your new range coming out. Thank you, Giles. It's been a pleasure. Back to Giles again. I, I hope you were scribbling madly away through that. I think the biggest takeaway from Sinead's many lessons is the importance of being laser-focused on a specific customer avatar. That allows you to tailor all of your marketing to their specific needs, as well as buying you the opportunity to have the sort of detailed discussions that can lead to better products and new ways to be of value to your niche. So until next time.